welcome to the sixth episode of Demol Belkia, season 10 recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who thinks of the devil's anus anytime he sees a banana, Logan Saunders. Good evening. Good evening. We're going to start with the question that has been on everyone's lips for the last week. Where in the world is Logan Saunders? I am in Armenia. It's not Kiev, friend. It is not Kiev, friend. You've decided to do your own Vidim pilgrimage and uh, and head to Yerevan. Or Yerevan, as, uh, as my Amazon device described it when I was trying to make sure that I had the right time zone. <laughs> yeah, we got in less than 24 hours ago. We got in about... 3.30 in the morning, got a snooze in, or a decent sleep actually, and then yeah, we hit the town, did the Cascades, um, did a couple of the Soviet-themed sites, we went on the oldest Ferris wheel ever, or the, the most rusted Ferris wheel I think I've ever been on. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not an ideal thing for me, I don't think. <laughs> It made a lot of sounds when we got to the very peak of it that make you quite nervous. As we've previously discussed with roller coasters, you don't particularly like roller coasters. I'm not too bad with them, as long as I feel safe. But it applies to Ferris wheels as well. If I don't feel safe, or if I'm on a swinging capsule Ferris wheel, I do not enjoy it. Yeah, it, this one will definitely make you nervous for a few minutes, and then you see other families on it, and then you think, okay, they wouldn't let the family fall off the Ferris wheel. <laughs> You'd hope. <laughs> But yes, overall, I'm I'm very pleased with how our city tour went, our our self-guided tour. Lots of parks, it was beautiful weather today. Can't speak highly enough about Yerevan. And out of interest, where are you going after Yerevan? I think, I don't know. Depends if I fracture my elbow, elbow or not by the time I get to Brussels. Because Yerevan is the last stop before you head to Brussels to... Um... To enjoy the finale of this season, assuming nobody gets fucking medevaced again. Knowing the season, I think the entire final three is going to get severe food poisoning or something the day of the finale. I was saying this to my mum earlier because we're recording this on Tuesday and in 10 days time I will be flying to Amsterdam and then getting the train over to Brussels the next morning. And I was saying to her that I'm probably going to have to hide myself away from the world from Friday onwards just in case, you know someone around me gets COVID and it ruins the uh, the trip because I do not want to be watching this finale on a TV screen literally two minutes walk from from where it's actually taking place because given the look that this season has had, that is the sort of thing that would end up happening to us. Or chill test positive for COVID. Oh god, can you imagine? <laughs> I would imagine given how how absolutely cursed this season has ended up being. Jill and all of the contestants who are going to be there, including all the old ones, are rapidly testing every day at the moment. And the other elephant in the room that I have to mention is the fact that, as announced on Friday on our Twitter, we have now joined Patreon. It's an experiment, as I said to you when we were discussing this a couple of days ago. I'm fully expecting absolutely nobody to uh, to do it, but should you want to... Um, to contribute towards the running of this podcast, it is greatly appreciated. You don't get many perks, I'll be perfectly honest, unless you pay about £10 a month. I think £10 a month is um, is a shout-out on the podcast and early access to any Historians episodes that we're doing, which, spoilers, we have now started recording. And I think it goes all the way up to um, a vial of Logan's dirty bathwater. <laughs> well, I'm out of Thailand now, so that won't be as easy to access for everybody. Which is a very niche reference that nobody listening will get. <laughs> there is a girl on OnlyFans who has been selling her dirty bathwater, including skin flakes in there. Oh, that is... That's the grossest thing I think I've heard all year. <laughs> there is one of the tiers of um, of the Patreon that I have deliberately set up called Logan's Fans. Oh, Jesus. Does it include Devil's Anus? It does not include a devil's anus, nor nor your copy of that movie, but it does, I believe, give you a video message from any of us, which I haven't run by any of you guys, but I thought it would be a fun thing to include. Yeah, or to get a cameo going too. Yeah, it's basically our version of cameo, but yeah. If you want to contribute to the podcast, please do, patreon.com forward slash RTV Warriors, but you're under no, no requirement to. We're not going to ham this up. It's there if you want it. We'll give you some free content if you if you really want it on there. Other than that, it's basically just going to go towards the hosting costs of the uh, of the podcast because I pay them at the moment. 
and I'd rather not. You've paid your dues after nine years of doing this. So anyway, this episode, not a lot really happened. Well, a lot didn't happen, but also a lot did happen. There was, I think it's fair to say, a major break in this season. I don't even know how to rank this season anymore after everything is all said and done. It's a very interesting concept, because someone did ask on the Discord earlier whether it's worth putting a ranking together of seasons. And I think it all depends with Mole what you like from a season. Because if you like the character-driven seasons, you probably like the Belgian ones far more than the uh, the Dutch ones, for example. I think there are definite highs and lows for both franchises. Vidum's lows are significantly lower, obviously. But this season's just going to be an anomaly no matter what, I think. I don't think there's any way it couldn't be now. It's It's the experiment of what a production team does when everything goes wrong through no fault of their own. It's just extremely unlucky circumstances. We have somebody fall during a a running challenge on a flat surface, which they did not anticipate. Of course, it's the loose rocks that contributed to it, but I mean, what are the odds, really? And then we have the hub of the season end up sleep-talking and develop extreme paranoia and emotional responses to it and even to leave the game halfway through. and. Now we've got someone who, right before the execution, the last jump of the final challenge of the round, just holds on to the rope too long due to a sudden burst of, I think, anxiety from the task. And we've got our third cancelled round in six episodes. That's insane. We have a bit of a reputation of coming up with fake podcasts of shows, mainly Amazing Race. If we had written something like this to happen in a mole season. I don't think it would be believable. This week is is the most extreme one, where it was the final, absolute final jump of the third challenge of the episode. And from production standpoint, I don't think there's anything they can change on, on Anchor going out like this, because I presume there was a lot of safety briefing, and when I've done like zip lines and stuff, they've always said, don't hold on to the cables, because if you spring, it will it will knack you, basically. Yeah. Which is exactly what she did here. But it's hilarious that it happened, I'll be honest. As much as I know that Gilles going to punch me in the face for saying that in a couple of weeks, it's hilarious that it happened. I wonder how close they were to cancelling the season right then. It was an interesting scene, because Sven is the first one who notices where he says, um, I think Anka seriously hurt, and Jill doesn't even say anything. He doesn't even really react. It's as if the hamster is spinning the wheel in his head, as if to, as if he's like, hmm, do we even keep going on with this season when half of the eliminations are just kaput? Obviously, if the mole had done this, then, then they would have had to cancel the season because you literally can't do a mole with two rounds. But I think there had to be discussions going, seriously, are we just going to bury our losses here and just get rid of it? Just... Keep the reservation at Palais 12 and just put a party on for all the mole contestants and just ignore that this season ever happened. One thing I just saw thought of this very second is in mixed martial arts, I think the same might apply to boxing too. But if, say, somebody does an accidental eye poke to where the other fighter can't continue and it's so close to the end of the fight that they'll just say, okay, now we'll go to decision instead of declaring it a no contest. They call it a technical decision. This season is about the closest to a technical decision I think we've seen on the mole, where, especially if, say, this final challenge happened in the final three, and then Anka were to have inched her elbow right before the final quiz of the season, I think in that case they would say, okay, we're going to technical decision, we'll go, we'll go to the final quiz right now. If anything, even if it happened as the first challenge of the final three to where the person couldn't do any more challenges for the rest of the season. I think we'd still have a technical decision. They would say, okay, we just need to get this season done. (laughs) It's getting a bit desperate now. (laughs) Yes. And I think the fact that they were at Final Four, they really only have to get through one more execution, and then it doesn't really matter too much what happens in the Final Three round. I'm sure all production is thinking, we really just need to get one proper execution in that Final Four, and we can call it a season. I do think it makes uh, the finale way more interesting for us, because obviously last week we got the the quote-unquote Diary of the Mole, which is actually Briefing of the Mole, 
where they said something big's going to happen in Pele 12 on the uh, on the 8th of May. I'm wondering whether it's just basically someone's going to get medevaced alive on stage now. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's going to get a suffer from like cardiac arrest from finding out that they won the season. <laughs> yeah. Cuz thinking about it, now that they've trailed ahead to Pele 12 being a, a big thing, there must be a live link up involved in the finale. Which suggests that maybe the maybe assuming that we're going to see a press version like we did last time, that we're not going to find out who the mole is when that happens. I wouldn't be surprised if they reveal the mole live on stage at Palais 12 and we don't get to find out who it is beforehand. Yeah, they haven't done that before. No. That would be the ideal thing that you'd want to make as like a big reveal for a 10th anniversary season. There has to be a live component to it, whether that is just the mole reveals themselves on stage as well as the pre-recorded version or whether they genuinely don't tell us in the press room beforehand. I don't know what it's going to be, but there has to be some sort of live live element if Palais 12 has been lampshaded like this. One thing that just occurred to me too, out of the six episodes, we've only had two normal executions. Round one and round five. And that's been it. Greta and Bert. And Bert didn't have the banana in his ear. Conveniently, the first execution of a mole each time as well. Of a new mole. Yeah, and then they just can't get anything going again after that. I'm sure, I wonder well, what what the the mentality. I'm, I'm going to assume at this point that no one, no more, no nobody else is going to get medevaced for the rest of the season. Everyone's <laughs> going to get wrapped in cotton wool next week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're going to make it ten times harder for anyone to earn money purely because they're stuck in a bubble. Cotton bubble wrap, and then an actual like bubble sphere. All challenges next week are just taking place in a padded cell where none of them can hurt themselves. I, I would love to see Jill's honest discussion with production after Anka had to be taken out of the game. I think assuming we get to, to chat to him, even if it's off off mic in a couple of weeks, it's going to be a fascinating chat. <laughs> yeah, because you got to think, they, they haven't even had one person be removed from the mole. Now we've had three people removed, including the mole. Yeah. I think if just somebody who had never watched Belgian Mole before saw this on paper on Wikipedia or something, they would think that this was the biggest train wreck of a season. Oh, it's absolutely chaotic, but if any production team can make it work, even though it's basically a Charlie Brown season, this production team can. Yeah, and that's, that's the fascinating thing too, like with Survivor when they've had Micronesia fans versus favorites, I've never really counted that as a real season because of all of the injuries and medevacs and quitters and the odd twist thrown in at the end but here with belgian mole it still all feels very legitimate in terms of how the game has been handled i think it'll mean that for next season they have lots of these policies in writing already so they don't have to worry about them it'll make them think about every contingency if nothing else (laughs) Yeah, like what happens if, say, seven people got medevaced throughout the course of the season? They just bring in a team of ten intruders. Covers every base. <laughs> Everyone has a stunt double for the for the jumps now. They just CGI in one of the intruders. It works perfectly. Yeah, Toon, for Toon's Toon stunt double could just be Noah. Like next week, it'll be a poker game as one of the challenges where the poker chips are represented by Passfragen. What else? What other challenges could they do where they don't like maybe an eating challenge? No, that's that's too prone to injury if people get indigestion. That's true. That's true. It needs to be something that requires zero physical activity. What about that? Um, predict which horse will win the race challenge from Argentina. They can do that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and oh, that other challenge from Argentina, the Jill one, where he was too aggressive. Well, they can have the um, the. Mole's the only person who can hear you challenge as well from Argentina. That'd work. Yeah. No wonder no one got medevaced in Argentina. <laughs> so, previously, the brand new Mole and their five new opponents were surprised by breakfast in bed from their loved ones and Sven's brother before an afternoon at a water park saw havoc wreaked and the team be tricked by 10 euro notes as the new Mole enlisted their loved one as an accomplice. Man who proved to be the most trustworthy as her bullshit radar stopped the others earning pass much to the benefit of both her and the pot. 
At the execution, it was a fond farewell to Bert, as he received the first red screen in three weeks and was sent home. And something we haven't really drawn attention to this season, but we have in the past, is when they're introducing who's still left in the episode, they do tend to use action shots from the previous one. I love a lot of the action shots that they use in this episode. Mainly Manu holding the gun, I'll be perfectly honest. She's the woman with the gun. It's just the perfect shot for for Manu in that one. And we begin with some sort of documentary about the locals, and Jill, of course. Everything starts going wrong, just like this season, including a waiter dropping a glass and a courier falling off his bike before a bomb explodes. Luckily, they didn't make the contestants do those roles. I'm sure if somebody had to light the cigarette, they'd accidentally burn their finger fingertips off somehow. Anka definitely would have ended up busting her elbow if she was the courier. Yeah. And then maybe the waiter accidentally steps on the glass and their feet get all cut up. And the episode title is from Argentina's Ruth again. They love quoting that season and they love quoting this challenge of, I would do it ten more times. And as we find out later in the episode, Uma and Manu might end up having to do it ten more times. It's such a dickish episode quote, that one. Especially when you know what it relates to. Well, it didn't completely live up to the quote. It was only seven more times. It was, but there was the potential of Gilles having to do his speech to absolutely no audience ten times. I was thinking if he was going to suffer, like, uh, have you ever seen that episode of Seinfeld where George Costanza comes up with the fake illness of his elbow twitching and always elbowing something? He develops a fake illness, but he does it so often that his body just uh, starts doing it involuntarily. So I was thinking, is Joe Costa just going to develop a, a fake cough that turns into an involuntary reaction permanently for him? It's all he would have needed after this season. Yeah, a permanent cough. You can only imagine, like, by three weeks at the end of this season, he just went home, went to his fiance at the time, and just said, I need to lie down, leave me alone for, like, a week. Yeah. Because you have to bear in mind, this is something we've not mentioned this season. Jill got married last December. They filmed this in, sort of, November time. So he would have probably already been stressed about the wedding, and then even more stressed by this season happening. I think that couple's tandem skydive uh, after the wedding got cancelled after this season. It was hilarious because everyone thought that um, that Namibia might be the location for this season because that's where he went on honeymoon. So everyone was like, oh my god, they're going back to Africa. And it's like, no, he's on honeymoon. It's quite blatantly obvious he's on honeymoon. Leave the dude alone. That's right. He has a personal life. Yeah. So it's day 14 in Las Palmas, and they are on the road already heading to Tejeda in the interior of Gran Canaria. Everyone apart from Sven is sleeping, and they are all in one car as there's only five of them left. They get a call from Gilles telling them they're playing for a lot of money in Tejeda, but he's looking for two volunteers who can take a punch. Which is nobody in this cast. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, Manu says she can, and I mean, if you had to guess out of the final five who, who would volunteer to take a punch, it probably would be Manu. And Sven describes himself as as soft as a china doll which coincidentally is also a description you can use to describe Anka's elbows. <laughs> the best thing is I wrote all these notes before finding out that Anka got injured, so I'm just coming up with these jokes on the fly. <laughs> After much debate about Sven being a complete wuss, they send two women, Manu and Uma, and Jill says the Harmstone favourite phrase has been noted. They are separated immediately and the other three meet Gilles in the town square. He coughs, and Anka tells him not to choke. The girls are locked in a room somewhere in town with a simple challenge to complete, but there is also a bomb that will destroy all their hard work. It is up to the other three to find them and disable that bomb before it goes off in eight minutes' time to earn 5,000 euros. All the information that they need is in the square, and Gilles takes his seat at a table. And the first sign that I had that something was up with this challenge was the fact that they don't usually display the prize on screen. They showed it a stake, 5,000 euros, and it made me inherently suspicious. I actually had in my notes, something tells me it won't be 5,000 euros soon. And I think the other tip-off, of course, is when there were eight minutes on the timer, and I'm thinking, that's a lot of setup for an eight-minute challenge. Are they just trying to get through the season as quickly as they can before anything else bad happens? Before anyone else falls over. 
<laughs> Uma and Manu are in a shed 500 metres away from them, chained to the floor. They have to polish all the statues in the shed to the satisfaction of the warden. In front of them, not that they know it, is a bomb directed at their faces. We never see the warden. Oh no, the warden was just a red herring. The warden, of course, as with every challenge to do with Belgian Mole, was probably Jill. It was probably just Jill in a hat. So they need three things to find the girls, the street name, the house number, and the key to the shed, but they have absolutely no more information than that. The girls are confused as to why they need to polish, not knowing that they're going to get bombed in just four minutes' time. When the courier crashes, the payphone rings and connects Anka to the girls. However, when Anka says the word bomb, the bomb goes up in front of them and cuts her off. Gilles then comes over and starts over his speech, including the cough. However, the stakes have dropped by 500 euros to only 4,500 now. And they get a second chance to do everything and retrace their steps. They've realised that they have entered a time loop. There is a tourist in the square who is writing down that the house number is x squared plus 2y squared plus z, but they don't know what those values actually are. Anchor answers the phone again, and the man helping the courier says he will be taken to Heraclio Sanchez Hospital, which is actually the street name they need. This is a really clever challenge. Yeah, this is a really fun one. I've seen people describe this in the past few days as potentially the best challenge they've ever done on Belgian Mole, and it's really clever. But the problem is it's now going to be overshadowed by the fact that, you know, Anka destroys her elbow at the end of this episode. Yeah, I'm sure production wished the time loop was used on the cliff jumping challenge. So that maybe on the sixth or seventh attempt, somebody could stop uh, stop Anka from jumping off. <laughs> Can you imagine if they used the time, time loop on that third challenge and Sven had to keep jumping? <laughs> yeah. You all have to jump within eight minutes. If you don't, the time loop resets and everyone who jumps has to jump again. <laughs> so the time loop begins again, this time for 4,000 euros. Manu finds a hint for X written on a statue, and Jill tells us that the hints for Y and Z are also written on statues that they've not found yet. X is donated but never drunk. Z is so much spark but no flame. And Y is how much Ronaldo scored more than Hazard. Yen's rings, but they waste enough time that Manu and Uma don't even have a chance to relay their sentences, and the bomb goes up again. They finally pass on the three sentences on their fourth attempt, before time resets again, and Gilles does his pitch to absolutely nobody this time. (laughs) That was easily my favourite part, is that Gilles is just talking to nobody. He's officially lost it this season. It's brilliant that he did that, and it really made me laugh, but it also made me think of the Vietnam boat challenge. Because cast your mind back when he had to brief Elizabeth in the end on that beach as to what the challenge was going to be and who she wanted to get lots in the boat. He had to do the same actions over and over again for everyone. So he has form with doing the same thing over and over again and not not breaking character in this. So I'm not surprised he managed to do it, but it is incredibly impressive he manages to do the same speech seven times with the same actions and everything in the same order word perfect, despite not having an audience by the end of it. I wish he would do that for all of his activities where no matter what everyone else decides, he just goes through with it. I think it does make it really fun for future seasons now because everyone's going to be worried of a time loop, I think. I think this sort of a challenge is brilliant to watch, but would be utterly infuriating. I think this is the sort of challenge that would drive me absolutely insane if I was doing it. What would be even funnier is if for example, if, say, Jill joined a baseball team, but none of his friends wanted to, like some sort of beer league softball team, but he still goes through playing the game anyway. He still hits the ball, he's running around the bases by himself, puts on the fielder's mitt, pretends to be one of the, the second baseman, just pretends like a real game is being played, even though he's the only one out on the field. So Sven claims that X and Z are both five, but Yen suggests that Y is only one. Uma finds out from another statue that the street is named after the generous benefactor who prevented the destruction of the church, the information of which they can both find from the paramedic who comes to save the cyclist, and also from the tour guide who is providing information on the church. Senor Sanchez. She passes the information on and time resets again. Sven hears from the, uh, the guide that the church was saved by a doctor and they get the right street finally. By watching the final plate, the girls find that the key is in a tree branch. Time resets for a sixth time and Yen scrubs the key. They run to disable the bomb before it goes off again. 
they get to number 76 and find out the key doesn't fit. So have to return to the square. Time resets again to make it only 1,500 euros. They change the house number to 60. The X they were looking for was the glass that was dropped. After the bomb goes off again, they realise their Ronaldo number was wrong, and they're looking for number 64, which they then find. Sven turns off the bomb to earn them 1,000 euros of 5,000. And unsurprisingly, Manu's not best pleased with them that the bomb went off eight times. Yeah, there were a couple of suspicious things. One, that Jens didn't hear didn't hear Manu and and Uma on the uh, on the phone there. I think it was during the fourth no third attempt, where he's just like hello hello. So that was suspicious, and the fact that all of them didn't clue into the Ronaldo number until at the exact same moment. It's like they were all trying to loosely sabotage the house number. Yeah. I will be perfectly honest. I'm going to skip ahead slightly. Jens is my suspect now. I am in this episode in a big Jens tunnel because he was super suspicious in all three challenges. And also, there's there's certain bits that we saw him say last week that Come back to come back to haunt us this week, basically. So I'm very much on the end train right now. And Uma's pissed off with this challenge. I think her quote was two women on a chain doing dishes. I <laughs> wish I took an actual punch." <laughs> yeah. Where do you think the mole would prefer to be in this challenge? Well, I was thinking uh, the clues from the from the shed were quite critical. Otherwise, if you're in the group of three, you have no idea what numbers you're looking for. Yeah. So that's why I'm very heavy on Manu being my top suspect right now. I was thinking that, but the thing is, the information exchange is on that phone. And Jens always put himself on the phone? Yeah, I think you always want to be in the anchor in Jens' position of answering that phone and controlling the flow of information on a challenge like this. Because it's all well and good sabotaging in the in the cow shed, but you are in such close quarters with the other person that you probably can't sabotage that much. It's much harder to sabotage in the shed, I think, than in the square. Whereas in the square, they're just not looking at each other. Nobody's paying attention to what each other are doing, really. Which is exactly where you want to be as a mole. And it's also probably the more stressful location is probably the best way to put it. So because everyone's so amped up, you can get away with accidentally ignoring information and things that nobody's going to know about. Yeah, that's a solid point. I think there's pros and cons to being in both positions for this challenge. I don't think there's a a concrete answer to the question, where do you want to be as a mole? I think there are arguments for both, which is not something you can always say. Yeah, there's some challenges where you think there's no way the mole was in that spot since there's no risk or or just it's just not a commanding role to be where money is going to be earned into the earned in the pot or taken out of the pot. Yeah, going back to something I said in the premiere of this season, the reason that I was looking at Sven initially was because the mole would never want to even risk not being a part of that challenge and sabotaging. So the mole was always going to be someone in the first two groups, really, who were the only ones guaranteed to actually be there. Ironically, I should have looked in Philippe's direction, but yeah, it's the same logic. In this challenge, I don't think there's a bad position for the mole to be in. There's a tougher position, but I don't think there's a straight up, this is the wrong place for the mole to be, like there would be in that opening challenge where if the mole was in a coffin or if the mole was on the chain, they strongly risk not being a part of that challenge and not being able to sabotage. So on the way back to their hacienda that they're staying in that evening, Jens is driving and sees everyone sleeping and swerves the car to try and wake them up for his own amusement, (laughs) because he's a gigantic prick. And surprisingly, no one gets seriously hurt. Yeah. (laughs) And the other four looked absolutely exhausted by this point. Yeah, I know we said this last week, I think it was that we really want to be friends with Manu. I really want to be friends with Jens after this season. He is also very much my sort of people, because he's just... He's chaos. He just enjoys messing with people, even if he's not the mole. Yeah, he's he's bananas. Speaking of which, he does the sloppiest cannonball I've ever seen into a tiny hot tub. 
and somehow that didn't injure him. Somehow he isn't the one person who is injured. Because <laughs> yeah. that's a very dangerous thing to do. So they arrive at the hacienda and chill in the hot tub after a long day. Anchor says communication didn't go smoothly because the girls were asking too many questions in the 10 seconds they had. Manu says Anchor was the person they spoke to most. You always get a lot of unnecessary information with her. She doesn't get right to the point. Yen says Sven used to be a strong candidate, but he's been aloof the past couple of days since the new mole assumed their role. And Uma says the mole will have been in the other group because her and Manu had absolutely no control over the challenge. Sven thinks most of the blame was in that bomb room. He says the atmosphere is good, but everyone is a little bit pricklebar now. And it's interesting that he uses the word irritable or pricklebar, as we found out earlier in the season, because it is a direct callback to that second challenge. In the Cactus Challenge, Jill was looking for four people who are a little bit pricklebar or irritable. Hmm, that's a solid connection. So that sent my my antennae up a little bit. I still don't think it's Sven this week. I think it's Jens, but that's the sort of thing that if it is Sven in the end, then I'll be kicking myself about going, ah, oh, I picked up on the Pricklebar reference, you bastard. So they are in Arukas on day 15. Sven and Jens have a lion, which the girls wake them up from, and they seem to be sleeping in the same bed now again. After having their own rooms, they uh, they seem to be sleeping in the bed now. Well, the group is so close. Maybe they they asked to be in this, <laughs> or they, or maybe production made to make sure whoever was the new mold in sleep talk at all last round. So Jill meets them in the back garden and tells them they're not straying far. Gran Canaria has a great climate for growing bananas, which are nutritious, healthy, and pointing at Yens, great on clothes. And if Yens is not the mole, that banana combo is an inspired choice for this challenge. He puts them in a cage and locks them in. Inside is a map with seven quiz questions on it of a differing distance from the cage and prize money attached. The cage opens for two minutes at a time, during which they've got to run to a question in the banana plantation, answer it, and run back in pairs. Anchor and Uma are the first with a question, which is Flora and Fauna for 300 euros. The other three can earn them an extra 30 seconds by slingshotting a banana into a net successfully. And their question is to name the type of poisonous spider that was found in an Antwerp supermarket in 2015. Each of the four answers has a banana with a barcode stuck on it, and they pick yellow sack spider. By the cage is a barcode scanner where they can see the value of their banana. They return with 30 seconds left. If they scan a banana that is wrong, they will lose a third of its value from their winnings in this challenge. They choose not to scan it and are right not to, as it was wrong. This is the sort of challenge that is very interesting to watch, not that interesting to recap. So I'm going to be perfectly honest, we're going to really rapidly skip through this. Yeah, I don't really have many notes other than, hmm, I would not have thought of what the Chiquita banana uh, woman looks like on the sticker. And the, the bananas movie poster looked looks a lot like Woody Allen. I'm thinking the only way you get that wrong is if you don't know who Woody Allen is, which I think would probably only apply to Tune. And then the the banana painting on the album cover, I was thinking, well, Rolling Stones has a really iconic one. Pink Floyd has a really iconic album cover. And I just can't see the Killers having a banana on their album cover. So I was thinking, well, I guess it's got to be the Velvet Underground by default. No, and more importantly, I think it was deliberately a um, a cover by Andy Warhol, who I don't think was still alive when the Killers started. The Killers only really got popular in sort of 2002, 2003. Yeah, and and there aren't really too many iconic album covers from the past 20 years or so because of digital media. So yeah, Sven and Manu do Logic, also worth 300 euros, and it's a banana plantation-themed Logic puzzle. Sven just randomly picks an answer with 30 seconds left, and they sprint back. He scans in his right. Uber and Jens do film. They're asked which director directed the movie Bananas, and is depicted on the poster. As we said, they both think it looks like Woody Allen and scan it with 52 seconds left, earning them another 600. Anchor and Sven head to advertising. Uma gets the banana in the net, earning them a bonus 30 seconds. And they're asked which of the four images of the Chiquita logo is correct. Sven picks the right one and earns another 300 euros. Uma and Manu are sent to music. And because it was filmed on a banana plantation in Hawaii, they of course score them running to the music question with the theme from Jurassic Park. Yep. <laughs> I'm 99% sure that Jurassic Park filmed on a uh, banana plantation in uh, in Hawaii. 
or, or even closer to the Dole Plantation in Hawaii as well. Bananas, pineapples, same thing. Yeah, definitely filming in Hawaii. I think it was a banana plantation. It's just a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Jens and Sven run to Vatenshap, which is uh, science, but it's worth 1,200 euros and very far away from the cage. They are asked why bananas are curved, and they choose that bananas curve towards light, which is obviously a bullshit answer. They scan the banana, but are wrong, so lose 400 euros, and it's actually because they grow against gravity. Only TV remains, and it's the furthest question from the cage, and worth 1,200 euros if they're right. Anchor and Rumor are sent to that one, and they're asked which Sesame Street character has a banana in his ear in the infamous clip. They appropriately choose Bert. They have only 20 seconds left, and won't make it without extra time. They miss the cage and are out of the game. Shield tells them they were wrong on that question anyway, so it's lucky that they were late, but they can take 1,400 euros of 4,500 for the challenge. The clip of Bert and Ernie, dubbed in Flemish, has scarred me for life. <laughs> Someone dug it out, the Dutch version of it. And apparently uh, Sesame Street wasn't actually that big a thing in uh, Belgium especially, but that clip is, is rather infamous from what I've heard. Just the dubbing isn't even remotely close to the to the original voices. It's kids, they won't care. Kids aren't gonna notice. Oh, I'm sure there's a kid going on Twitter saying this show's a phony. Not for the first time, Mr. Saunders, you're thinking too hard about this. <laughs> they need to recast the voice actors for Ernie in the Flemish Flemish version of Sesame Street. <laughs> It is not faithful to the original voice. So Gilles then invites them after the challenge for a quote-unquote banana break, at which Uma ruins the mood by describing the top bit as the devil's anus. And he tells them, in a beautifully punny way, that it was a very fruitful day. And then we get a real sign that this is a very, very tight-knit cast. I sent Bindles one message when I was watching this episode yesterday. And it just said, in all caps, they got tattoos together? (laughs) Seriously, like, if we had written this in a jokey podcast, I don't think anyone would have even believed us. I think people would have sent us messages going, no, that's too far-fetched. It's not just a matching tattoo, it's a matching banana tattoo, like the, the, the singing banana from Peanut Butter Jelly Time. Yeah, like... If you'd said to me, oh, someone gets a tattoo in this episode, I would have gone, it's Jens, isn't it? And it's like, yes, obviously. But if you told me that everyone had got a tattoo, including China Doll Sven, Scary Cat Sven, and I'm saying this fully in the knowledge that if someone turned around to me and said, let's get matching tattoos, I'd tell them to do one. Even Scary Cat Sven did it. And I wonder how much alcohol was involved in that decision. I don't know. I think the last thing you want to give an injury-prone group of players is alcohol. (laughs) I suspect they may have been out for dinner and gone, let's all get matching tattoos, and nobody said, are you sure that's wise? (laughs) So yeah, they play a game of chance with Jens, and it ends up with them all getting tattoos of bananas. And the tattoo artist was wearing a shirt that says, quit your bitchin'. And I'm really glad that the tattoo artist wasn't there when Anka fractured her elbow. Come on, Anka, you got a tattoo yesterday. Just remember what my t-shirt said. No matter what pain you feel, quit your bitching. (laughs) So they all wake up on day 16, one tattoo richer, and it says a lot about how drawn they are to each other, that only two of them had got a tattoo before this, and now all five of them have. Gilles meets them atop a cliff for the final challenge of the episode, one that they will need both luck and courage for. In pairs, they will be given an opportunity to jump into the abyss to win money for the pot, a personal advantage, or maybe absolutely nothing. And in the evening, presumably before they all got drunk and tattooed, the mole decided the order of their jumping and who would be spinning the wheel for who. And they say, I'd let Sven and Yen start together as they don't believe in each other. So right away, maybe no one will jump at first and the others will hesitate as a result. Once again, the mole's gut instinct backfired. <laughs> yeah. They will be doing a 60 metre jump off a cliff. Anyone who does it will earn a guaranteed 250 euros of the pot. However, the other person with them will be spinning a wheel to earn extra stakes for the jump. Maybe 500 euros or 1,000 for the pot. 1,000 euros out of the pot. One pass forward for the jumper. Two pass forward for the jumper. One pass forward for the spinner. Or two pass forward for the spinner. Whatever is spun is only one if the person jumps. 
Michael Boatman had a very similar challenge he had to do in Celebrity Mole Hawaii, where it was him and I think Eric, who both had to jump off the cliff to earn money in Celebrity Mole Hawaii. And Michael Boatman said, I'm not going to do it. It's too dangerous. I might hurt myself. I don't think my wife would want me to do this. Fifteen years later, Michael Boatman is very justified in not jumping off the cliff into the water. Yeah. This is basically that combined with the Final Four Exemption Challenge in Czechia, where they were spinning the wheel for advantages for each other. What was interesting while watching this challenge is I was thinking, this is quite dangerous, because I didn't even think about the elbow fracture injury possibility. I was thinking about like when you're flying around and you, your body ends up hitting against the side of the cliff. And that's where I thought the real injury opportunity was. Setting aside the anchor of the situation, would you do this? I think it depends on the mood that day and how many people I've seen go home already during the season. (laughs) Because I've done a quick Google on the location of this challenge, and there must be a permanent setup on it because everything was bolted into the cliffside and stuff, but I can't see any, any company details for it. We know from the Vietnam bungee jump that if there isn't a a local safety team or if they're not confident in the local safety team, they'll bring their own one in. So I, I don't know whether it was one of those situations where they brought someone in or whether it is actually a, a proper thing from that spot. Yeah, because Canary Islands has a lot of adventure sports, a lot of adventure sport companies, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's a permanent setup there. I did notice the rope was bolted onto the cliffside, so I'm assuming there is a permanent setup of some description there. I'm just not sure whether the company is actually based there or whether it's based in Arucas or whatever. That sounds like a Jill question. Yeah. This is the sort of thing that I should be making notes of and going, I need to actually just double check with Jill what the story was here if you know we get any time with him at all, which if he's got to do a live link up on TV, I suspect he probably won't be... Uh, won't be hanging around too much around us like he did last time. Not till after the episode. <laughs> uh, so Sven jumps first and admits that he's stressed. He's not a fan of heights. Jen spins the wheel and says that it's on plus a thousand euros. He says he would admit if it was a personal advantage. They have two minutes to decide once they reach the platform whether to jump. Jen says that from the beginning Sven had a problem with heights, but that could have been a lie. Even if he was mole at that point, that wasn't manipulation, Jens. You're twisting it a bit. And I think this challenge is very interesting for a reason you probably won't have thought of. And it's something that that obviously comes up because Jens is my number one suspect at the moment, but this is the first time we've seen the mole interact with Jill one-on-one. No matter who it is. Maybe Jill just wanted to give the mole extra attention to ensure that this mole was able to make it through to the finish line. Yeah. So I think the interactions with Jill are actually more interesting than the people jumping off a cliff and potentially earning themselves pass riding. Because this is our first experience of trying to work out who actually is there with more knowledge and probably in a scene that we'll see in a couple of weeks, chatting with Jill going, oh, I can't believe that they've fallen for that. You're doing really well. I know, thanks. This is our first chance to see the mole and Jill potentially try and slip something past us. So it's very interesting watching these interactions. Far more than watching people jump off a cliff, to be perfectly honest. I have nothing else to add. (laughs) Yeah, it's just something to think about, even if it isn't Jens, as I suspect it is, because his interaction with Gilles here is, it feels very much like host and mole chatting to each other behind the scenes. Even if it isn't Jens, it's something to keep an eye on in these scenes. Is is Gilles actually having a proper chat with the mole and probably in a cut bit saying, how do you think you're doing? Do you think that this person's going to jump? Do you think you picked the right people to be paired up and stuff? which we'll then probably see in a few weeks' time. So Sven says that his girlfriend made him promise before he left, presumably because, you know, he's leaving her with a newborn, that he would do everything that he got the opportunity to, so he decides to jump, not that he looks entirely enthusiastic about it. His girlfriend told him, you have to do everything because you can't participate twice, unless you jump Jens. He returns and finds out that Jens did tell him the truth, and he earned a bonus thousand euros for the pots. The mole then chose Uma to spin for Jens. They say that Jens will jump, they think, but maybe he won't trust Uma, as she will definitely want to earn herself pass Fragen. 
And Uma uses the same strategy as she did with Manu in the challenge, where she gets really defensive and very, and, and just suddenly just emotional outburst, which is very out of character for once again. And Yen's just reads her like a book. Yeah. I mean, skipping ahead slightly to when I start talking about second suspicions, Uma is now number one suspect on the second suspicions. I can't see it. I will be perfectly honest, and I know it's famous last words whenever I do this, but Uma is a terrible liar from what we've seen. She's been busted by Manu last week and Jens this week, and that's that's even setting aside the fact that there were four episodes when she wasn't the mole. She's come across as being a dreadful liar in this season, which is a very interesting tactic as mole if she is mole. But at the moment, I can't see it. Yeah, to intentionally be a terrible liar. Yeah. <laughs> what the mole's best tactic, I think, here is pair themselves up with someone who probably won't trust them, and then if the money comes in, they can potentially try and go, oh yeah, it's definitely money here, wink wink, to try and make them not jump. I don't know what the mole's tactic would be otherwise, being perfectly honest. It's a tough one to think about what a mole tactic would be here, because it's entirely dependent on luck. So she tells him that it's minus a thousand euros, and we see from the camera angle that she's definitely lying, it's one of the Passwagen ones. He spots that she took a while to read what it said on the wheel, and it was not happy when he decides that he's jumping. She tells Jill that he just wants to look cool to the group. Why would you do this to me, Jens? Why won't you believe me after I took a minute to read a loss of a thousand euros? <laughs> I'll be honest, after her reaction in this challenge, I really can't see her being the mole. If she is, then I've been duped, and I'm sure she was a great mole, but I just can't see it right now. So he doesn't even hesitate, and he jumps in the space of a second, earning 250 euros, but also the pass frog for himself, as Uma lied to him. And something that we didn't discuss last week, but I very much want to, is the fact that the pass frog and now are beautiful. They're brilliantly blue. And they're very pretty. And I hope that if Jill lives up to his promise of giving us one of the past Fragen, it will be one of those ones, because they're very nice. It's a good accessory. Get it put on cufflinks or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bit big for cufflinks, I know, but... <laughs> oh, we could, we could turn it into immunity idols. Drill a hole in it, and like get some string and turn it into a, a mole immunity idol. Manu spins for Uma, and we see that it lands on a pass frog for the jumper. She claims that it's minus a thousand euros, and Uma doesn't believe her. Unsurprisingly, because she tried the exact same thing. Yeah. Manu was pulling an Uma on Uma. And then Uma keeps saying cock, cock, cock repeatedly, and I don't know why. I, I think it's because of the banana challenge that they just had the day before. I think cock is, is crap. That's not much better. Yeah, given that Uma was the one talking about devil's anuses earlier, I wouldn't be surprised if it is some sort of swear word. Yeah, cocks and devil's anuses and bananas. Fantastic. Cock just means cook, apparently. It's a nonsensical word. So yeah, Uma heads to the platform, and she jumps after hesitating for quite a long while. And she earns the 250 euros and the password for herself. And Manu, being Manu, just says that she's proud of her for jumping. Anka then spins for Manu. The mole says that there is distrust between them. Anka looks disappointed when she sees it and claims that it's 500 euros. She's lying, as the 500 euros are only on blue spaces. I'm right, it's a password for the jumper. Anka changes tactics mid-negotiation and admits that it's a password for someone, but not who? She heads to the platform, but Jill tells us that Manu has the biggest fear of jumping out of everyone. Anka cheers for it, even though it's against her best interest. The time runs out, and Manu hasn't jumped, which is a shame. But probably saved her ability to still win this game, or if she's the mole, that saves the season from being cancelled. Sven is the final one to spin. He admits that he's passed for one of them, but not who. Anka heads to the platform, and we see that it's two passed for the person who jumps. Sven says she's absolutely fearless. She jumps. And earns herself the pass for Argon, but hurts her arm in the process, earning the group 2,000 euros of 6,250 for the challenge, 4,400 out of 15,750 for the episode, and 24,790 euros of 69,750 for the season so far. Can you imagine making Anka take the, if, if like say both elbows are fractured, if she had to do the quiz and you just see her just grimacing as she's scrolling through the questions like, ah, 
I can't click <laughs> my elbow. Well, you'd presume, like in any exam, there would be the option for a producer to fill it in on her behalf, but she just tells them what the answers are. Yeah. I mean, she got two pass, Bragan. I mean, there's a chance somebody could go all in and be executed, and she's still in the game. And at the elimination, we find out that Anka suffered an elbow fracture and cannot continue the game, earning her a red screen. Now, this is a question that came up on the Discord yesterday, and I want to know your thoughts on it. Should the pass Fragen carry over? That's a good question, because I remember in Survivor, it always annoyed me when they'd have a medevac after the immunity challenge, but before a tribal council. And then the following episode, they had to, person who won immunity had to give it up and try to win it again. And that's what happened to Tyson in Survivor Token Genes. And that, always, that, that format always pissed me off. I'm in two minds about this, because on the one hand, it's obviously... It's obviously probably the right thing morally to do, even though it goes against what they usually say about Passfragen, that they have to be used on the very same round that you earn them. I think it's probably the fairest thing to do to carry them over. But the problem is, it's a Final Four test, and as we saw last season, Philip only went home because everyone else had Passfragen. So it is quite unfair to Sven, for example, who earned money for the pot but no Passfragen, that two other people have got Passfragen, and potentially if Manu is the mole, Sven goes home next week as a result of those Passfragen, just like Philip did. Maybe it's got to be like Survivor, where all items expire at the final five. Yeah. Usually, and Jill has confirmed this to us in the past, um, they have to be used on the same round, because he doesn't like people being able to hold on to them and, and use them as strategic tools like that. Yeah, that's right. But I don't know whether they're going to make an exception for it and say you can play them this round if you really want to. Yeah, could it be for the uh, like the current round or for the like the current test? Because those are two definitions right there. I wouldn't be surprised if they make an exception for it. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure on the fairness of it. I'm not sure there's an easy answer for it. Being honest. So, of course, she gets a montage, albeit one slightly more justified, given she's fifth place. Uma says she, she gave every challenge 150 to 200%. They did the water slide together over and over and over again, even when everyone else hated it. Manu says they had some intense moments, but she was an absolute superwoman. Sven says she was a pure player. She had one goal, to get the pots as high as possible. Then we get to Jens, who has maybe my favourite goodbye message of anyone in mole history when he says he never thought he would get on with someone who was a cop, he's completely against authority, and she changed his mind, which is beautiful. <laughs> that is such a wonderfully Jens answer to that question. Even if he's not the mole, he's gloriously entertaining. Uh, she does call the others from the hospital on day 17 with her arm in a sling. It's broken in two places, and the ligaments may be damaged too. And she also confirms that she wasn't the mole, not that many people would have voted for her. And then, of course, the question we'll have is, did Anka know who the mole was? Well, she claims on Café de Mole that she did. She claims that she knew exactly who it was and went 100% on who it was. What that means, I don't know. I don't know who she, she suspected, and hopefully we'll find out from Jill at the reunion that actually she was telling the 100% truth here. But she's convinced who the mole is. She also dropped something very interesting on Café de Mole, apparently, that my theory with Naila, that the producers took her aside and said, look, seriously, it's only going to get more physical, you're going to have to leave now. You're not going to get any better. That apparently was true. Apparently, Naila was essentially medevaced from the game. What a weird, weird season. But that has only been confirmed as of this week with, um, with Anka going home. Presumably, the fact she was allowed to say that means there are no more medical evacuations this season. Somebody survives the neck, or rather, somebody doesn't uh, get eliminated before the next execution. Also, apparently our good friend, Human Golden Retriever Axel, has been on another podcast, he's been moonlighting, and said that all the previous contestants have been invited to the finale, and they don't know why, other than that they're involved in something. And thank you to, uh, to Bram for literally just sending me that message. As in, while you were talking just then. Oh, wow. So something's up at Palais 12, and I don't know what it's going to be yet. It's going to be very interesting. But if nothing else, it's going to be a great networking opportunity for us. <laughs> yeah, take pictures with everybody. 
Oh yeah, I I mean taking pictures with everyone, so we got loads of options for the Diary of a Belgian Mole finale episode, and also more importantly, just getting in people's good books so they can come and talk to us. I want a season of this. So next time, the final four hike while Manu and Sven turn off clocks whilst being on a bed. A blindfolded challenge sees them fail their cities. Sven throws an axe while things get a little bit mountainous. And I think I said this earlier, but there was one thing we didn't see from last week's Next Time trailer in this episode, which was Jens telling Sven that he held his fate in his hands. And the reason that I bring attention to this is because if that is... 100% 100% correct, is Jens hinting at the fact that he controlled the pairings for this challenge. I'm deep in a Jens tunnel now, as you might have guessed. <laughs> We're down to one suspect this week. I've got to I've got to put all my eggs in one basket, and at the moment it's in Jens's. So in the pool, with Anka going home, your team is now Manu and Uma, mine Sven and Jens. This means now that we are both guaranteed to have someone in the final three. With Second Suspicions, thank you to everyone who submitted Second Suspicions in this unique situation. Uma was the most suspected of the final six, with 2.3 out of 6. Then Jens on 2.55, Sven on 3, Anchor on 3.3, Manu on 4, and Bert, perhaps obviously on 5.85. With Bert's scores removed, Anchor moves to 3.25 and Manu to 3.95. Uma and Anchor are less suspected by the two of us than the group as a whole, with Uma on 2.5 and Anchor on 3.36. Jens is perfectly equal, and Sven on 2.86, and Manu on 3.77 are more suspected. As is traditional now, two people didn't place Bert last. Everyone had at least one second suspicion, except Bert, and Uma had the least bottom two suspicions. I know for a fact, the person with the least number one suspicions on second suspicions is Manu, and there is only one. And the reason I bring attention to this is because I also know that one person was you. <laughs> so if Manu is the mole, you win second suspicions by default. I love that. Just putting that out there two weeks before the finale. With Anchor going home, the order is now Uma on 1.95 and 2.14, including us, Jens on 2.10, Sven on 2.6, and Manu on 3.35. Compared with first suspicions, Sven and Manu are less suspected, and Jens and Uma are more suspected. Two people, which is Bindles and Tim, had Anchor at number one. Five people, David Joseph, April Ride 15, Fly 101, and you had Anchor at number five or number six, and now have the lowest score possible of 10 points remaining. One person still has a score of 15. Who do you suspect, Mr. Saunders? So, I'm the man who's still number one for me, then Jens, then Sven, then Uma. And mine are almost identical to that. Mine are Jens, obviously, for the numerous reasons that I've mentioned in this podcast. Then it is Manu, then it's Sven, and then it is Uma. If somehow we get to the finale and both of us are wrong, then Jill is going to be cackling in both of our ears. Yeah. (laughs) Finally, some justice for the season. (laughs) Next week is the last opportunity for either of us to even suspect Uma once, can I point out. Uma has gotten six weeks with zero suspicions from us. I don't think that's going to change. Neither do I. (laughs) Not unless Jens goes home next week. Talking of who goes home next week, who do you think it's going to be? I think we're going to get rid of Uma next week. Everything points to a Sven-Jens-Manu finale. I think for the season to end on the highest note possible, it needs to be Jens, Sven, and Manu as the final three. So Uma goes home, hopefully. If Uma's still there, then... She's fun enough, but I mean, if she is still there, it's going to be a crushing loss, whoever goes home next week. I'm going to be devastated. Because Sven's the one who's really tough to read. Jens is all wacky and a bit crazy. And then Manu just gets really intense. Sven absolutely does not react to things, and it is hilarious. You'd think on paper someone who has a complete, like, stony face not reacting to anything would be the worst person possible, but he's hilarious. And spoilers, he's our banner this week, because his reactions to having to do the canyon swing were delightful, and it very much gave me Lloyd vibes. I still (laughs) think Manu is winning, though. I think Manu is the winner, Jens is the mole, and Sven is the loser. Yeah, at this point I'm thinking Manu is the mole, Sven's going to win, and then Jens is the runner-up. Either way, I don't really mind who wins. I do like all four of them. Uma is just at the bottom of my list of enjoyment. 
it's a classic Belgian situation of I don't really care who wins because they're all nice. Yeah, there won't be a there won't be a bad outcome no matter what, unless somebody gets medevaced. Well, yeah, it's just that I think if in two weeks' time Manu is announced as the winner, I'm going to be very happy for her. If Jens is announced as the winner, I'm going to be very happy for him. If Sven is announced as the winner, I'm going to be very happy for him. I do think it's Manu winner Jens is more right now though. Have you got anything else you want to say before I let you go to bed? <laughs> um, no. Our recording is longer than the episode itself again. As always. <laughs> Have we done a recording this season where it's been shorter than the episode? I don't think we have. Maybe maybe week two. Week two is an hour and twelve. That's the closest we've got. <laughs> Jesus. So, thank you for listening to our De Morbecchia Season 10 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the new small in the Canary Islands. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us in contact at rtvwarriors.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. Logan's on Twitter at Logsapuaki, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you, as always, to Natalia for the subtitles. We'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. Ah!